Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Hey, listeners, welcome to this fall 2021 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words, part of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode, we visit with Rose Senehy, author of Falling Off a Cliff, a novel of the Appalachian Mountains in which two women decades apart traverse the same path, one woman searching for her past, the other looking for her future. In the 1920s, Lula Mae McWay traverses the harsh terrain of the Blue Ridge Mountains with another woman, a doctor determined to heal those in the oft-forgotten mountain community. Forty years later, Holly journeys to uncover the mysteries of her origins and search for the mother she's never known. Martin Castric, author of the Sam Blackman mystery series, had this to say about the book. In Falling Off a Cliff, Rose Senehy plunges us into a world rich with a unique sense of time and place. This haunting tale is more than setting, more than a glimpse into the ways of a disappearing Appalachian culture, but rather a story of two strong women, a generation apart, whose sole ambition is to bring healing to their community despite the challenging terrain and suspicious attitudes. But for one of them, healing must also come from within as she searches for a lost past shrouded by a dark, impenetrable secret. The satisfying mixture of history and mystery yields a novel that will be remembered well beyond the turn of the last page. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time. Join us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. We've also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, uh, we put out a book report every two weeks. It's free to sign up for, and uh, there's some free stuff you get when you sign up. You can check that out at the uh, podcast website. Uh, hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. Speaking of free stuff, if you like audiobooks and you go to libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O.fm, and uh, sign up with uh, their audiobook service, uh, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and get a free audiobook. Last thing I want to tell you right quick before we jump into the episode is that we have what's called a Patreon channel, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's a place where our authors uh, and I do a deeper dive into the craft of writing and the business of writing. And uh, you can join us there and, and support the podcast when you do for uh, as little as $5 a month or $8 if you tip. Uh, we put out a lot of content on that page and uh, we've had a lot of fun doing it. I, I've certainly learned a lot about the craft and business of writing on our Patreon page. So join us uh, at Patreon or through our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Rose, welcome to the show. Thank you for the invite. I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, thank you. And congratulations on the book, by the way. Thank you. Now, uh, a little bit about you and your writing first. You're, you're a successful 
independently published author, which I call an indie. You've got a number of awards. You're, uh, some examples of that are your historical book award from the North Carolina Society of Historians. Uh, you won a uh, 2012 IPI gold medal for fiction. You won a 2014 Indie Reader Discovery Award and uh, a SIBO Award in 2009. Um, how do you like being an indie author? How does it work for you, and why do you do it? Uh, well, you know, in 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 the past, let's say 15 years, I've seen so such a change in the whole publishing industry. When I first started, it was you had to get a traditional uh, publisher, and uh, if you didn't, you you had to keep struggling until you did. And in the past 15 years, we've seen the sand move behind underneath our feet where it's just been changing dramatically. And I'm uh, glad to been able to uh, catch on to it and uh, respond to the changes. Yeah, that's great. And listeners, uh, when we jump over to Patreon, Rose and I are going to dive deeper into this thing called indie publishing and also talk about uh, writing historical novels because she's done she's done a lot of that. In fact, uh, Rose, uh, Falling Off a Cliff is a book, book that explores life in the early mountains of North Carolina, but it's not your first book set in the mountains. You have what you call a Blue Ridge series of standalone novels. Uh, tell us why you're drawn to write about the mountains. <laughs> Well, uh, Landis, I came uh, through this area uh, 15 years ago to research my first uh, book that would take place in this area. And I came to this iconic little town of Chimney Rock. And in one hour, I bought my little shack <laughs> and uh, uh, fell in love with, with the place. And then it was going to be a holiday place. And I learned about the people. And I said, this place is different. There's something about the folks here in this, these mountains that has this sort of overarching feeling of we're all in it together. It's like nobody's better than anybody and nobody's worse than any. We're all in it together. And uh, uh, I went, my very first weekend here, made an imp an indelible impression on me and directed me towards writing about this these mountains and the people here. I went, in, uh, I had just bought the place, I was tearing it apart, and I had to drive in to uh, Hendersonville for the third time that day to get some tools so I could fix up this house. And I drive in, and I'm dirty. I've got paint on me. I'm wearing the kind of clothes you, at the end of the day, you don't wash. You put in a, a garbage bag and throw away. And so I go to Hendersonville. I get the stuff. I'm coming back. It's 5 o'clock. And at that time, 15 years ago, Chimney Rock was dry. And so there was no, nothing was open past 5. And I had no food. And I see this stand in Bat Cave, a little food stand. And I went up. And I pulled in, and all I had was, I, they weren't going to take a credit card. And I had three single dollar bills in my purse, in my little wallet. So I gathered some food, a few tomatoes and things, and I put it on the counter. And this lady said, and I said to her, 
this here's the three dollars. That's all I have. So gather whatever. I'll take whatever is three dollars worth. She put every single thing in a bag and pushed it towards me. And you got to remember, I was practically in rags. And she said, this is what this cost. Mm, that's a great story. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think of that area because I've been up to Chimney Rock and I've, I've gone up to the top and I've, I've been along the falls uh, and I've watched it on Last of the Mohicans, right? <laughs> that beautiful yeah. iconic landscape, you know, uh, there. Um, so it's, it, the, the, the community is uh, not only as you just described it there, but also it's it's very beautiful. So you've got all that going on when you when you start to write a novel as well. Um and so you're writing in the space where you live. Um, does does that make your writing easier, Rose, to be able to experience on a daily basis what you're writing about? Yes, it does. And the not only that, the history is here, and the search for the history. Um, I've had to, uh, uh, like, I I have to be inspired by something in order to spend a whole year researching it. <laughs> and here is this like iconic little village. And there was, I, I said, I want to write when I was writing uh, Dancing on Rocks. I want to write something that's going to give the people the feel of this little village, this with these little stores and the people live up above. And there was no history of Chimney Rock. And, uh, so I, I ended up spending one whole year at the county courthouse standing on a cement floor looking up the old maps and actually created the entire uh, original map of the original owners of all the, all the areas. And then I studied these people and I discovered the core personality for this little town. And these people were entrepreneurial. They were gamblers. And when I studied the people who were the first ones to buy these lands, you could look up and find out that they bought hundreds of other properties. So that was the nature. So when I wrote that book, Ket, uh, Dancing on Rocks, one of the main characters, it was important that I made her like that. She was a gambler. She was investing. She took chances. And I, it, it, when you get the history, you have to... Bring that flavor and that those characteristics into the people, so the readers feel these people, the pulse of the area. Yeah, and, and speaking of maps and going to the county courthouse and so forth, uh, in the very front of this book, uh, falling off a cliff, there is a map, uh, and at the top, it's titled "The Lost Colony, Henderson County, North Carolina." Estimated size one by three miles, and it's sort of right in this area near Chimney Rock. And uh, it was interesting the way you describe it in the book. It's almost like, you know, you think a lot of times about these lost areas that are lost in these hollows. You know, they're somewhere buried deep in the Blue Ridge Mountain. This one seems to be lost on the top of the, <laughs> top yeah. of the mountain. And that's true. You know? yes. Yeah. So, so talk about how you found the lost colony. And for our listeners, tell us a little bit about what the lost colony of Western North Carolina was like. Because we know about the lost colony, you know, out, out on the coast of North Carolina. But this is the lost colony uh, in Western North Carolina. Yes. Well, when I first came here, I started uh, picking up articles. And uh, one of my favorite hobbies is to pick up autobiographies and biographies 
there's marvelous uh, biographies that people write, and you 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 find them. They're uh, typewritten in Xerox copies, or they're mimeographed, and sometimes they sell them. Sometimes they give them away. So I collected a lot of these things, and this lost colony kept coming up, and it intrigued me. So I studied it more, and basically, right after the Revolutionary War, a group of settlers came up to that area, and I do not know how they got up there, but it's very, very high. They they built their own forge. They were totally self-sufficient, their own forge. They had their own granaries, and... Uh, they they had a, a, a grist mill, and they still spoke in the old English, the yees, and you saying things like uh, uh, stair steps, repeating the subjects when they're talking about things. And they were pretty isolated there until like the last of the 1800s, and one of the when the First World War came and they had to come down and go to the war, a lot of them didn't come back. That was sort of the beginning of the end of the colony. But up until that time, they were very isolated. And the interesting thing about this particular part of the mountains was you had the mountains were isolated, difficult to get to. You had to go by horseback or mule. And... 30, 30 miles away, 15 miles away was Hendersonville, which was in the throes of the Industrial Revolution with uh, trains coming in and out uh, every day. So it was, they were like shoulder to shoulder, but it was two different civilizations almost. And they, and they got together at this one time. And that's what I wrote about. Yeah, so let's talk about the time period a second before we uh, jump into the book. You set this novel in two time periods. We meet, uh, you know, the, the first character, which we'll talk about in a minute, Lula, Lula McWade, early in the book. She's living in the small mountain colony, the lost colony high up on the mountain. And then we meet Holly Baldwin, uh, who comes back later to this area. Tell us, uh, these are both in the 20th century. Tell us how far apart uh, these time periods are. Tell us about that sort of, you know, what the Lost Colony was like in those two time periods and what it's like today. Okay. Do you know the Lost Colony right now, you, you can only really access it if you're a hiker. And uh, uh, because it, it the buildings, just some of the foundations are there at this time and some of the cemeteries, but uh, it isn't an accessible by a car. You can't drive up to it. You've got to go as high as you can and then hike up. Uh, but it is interesting that the families that were there are now the remnants of these families are now dotting all of this area. And, uh, uh, there's, they're still there. The names are, are here. The families are here and many of them are in the apple industry. Yeah. One of the characters has got an apple orchard. So take us there with Lula May. Uh, tell us about her, uh, where we find her. I believe it's after, you know, the First World War, um, she's sort of been sent down or out from her family to kind of work with a, a granny doctor, as they say. And she comes down off of this mountain. Tell us a little bit about Lula May. The book opens up with Lula May. She's seven. She lives in this isolated community. 
And times are hard, and and hard times, sometimes the children are put out to work. And she is taken up with the woman who is a uh, sort of a doctor woman. And she goes with her, and she learns all about herbs. And the the curative uh, portions of the of these herbs. So you you get a strong feeling that uh, there aren't any doctors. They all have to take care of each other, and local doctor women are delivering the children and giving the medications out. Yeah, and they're using uh, they're actually living off the land, making the the yeah. herbs to treat people, and uh, and so uh, as the mo- book moves you know, forward, you, you sort of adopted this uh, sort of back and forth, maybe two or three chapters at a time, where you're back in Lula May's time period, and then you move forward to Holly Baldwin. Tell us about Holly and how she finds herself back in this mountain community years later. Okay, Holly is, uh, knows she was an orphan, and she's been adopted by this woman who was elegant and educated, but ne- is told that no one knows her history. But somehow or another, she has picked up little bits of information as she was growing up. And she knows one thing for sure is that her aunt had one time lived in the mountains of North Carolina. And when her aunt passes on, she is going to go and to the mountains of North Carolina, and she's a nurse. And she is going to find out uh, and see if she can discover her roots. And if she doesn't, it'll be her last chance of knowing who she is and where she's from. Yeah, it's an interesting book and an interesting technique you use because you're sort of bringing these characters together. Uh, One that's looking forward as she's young and then growing up. The other that's looking backward uh, and trying to trace her roots. But both of them are engaged in healing. Uh, Holly later as a nurse uh, who's trying to go out into the community and convince people to get things like vaccines. I mean, that sounds familiar in today's time, <laughs> doesn't it? You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, Lula May is, uh, you know, following the granny doctor around and she's helping her and then she wants to be a nurse when she grows up. So we got these paths that are converging. This might be a good time, Rose, for us to have a reading that we do uh, on Charlotte's podcast. You picked a little section to read here, and uh, before you read it, if you would just uh, set up the scene, tell us where we are in the book, and uh, and then uh, then then take it away. Okay, Lula May is coming down from the mountain with the granny doctor, and the granny doctor comes down to sell her herbs, and it's the first time Lula May has really been anywhere other than this isolated little community that she comes from. And uh, they're staying overnight and sleeping in the back of the kitchen of this uh, resort uh, hotel type thing that they have in the mountains. With the maids scurrying in and out of the kitchen, Lula was able to sneak unnoticed into a huge parlor where she could look out onto the dining room. Thirty or so guests were seated on both sides of a long table with maids rushing back and forth, pouring coffee and milk, and bringing in baskets of biscuits hot out of the oven. Mothers frantically rounded up their children and struggled to get them quickly settled at the smaller tables scattered about. 
Afraid Granny might have returned and be looking for her, Lula tore herself away from the boisterous scene and snuck back in the kitchen. Well, thar she is, said the cook. She pulled out a chair for Lula. You sit right there. Miss Bertha is going to put up your supper. Lula gobbled down every bit she was served and licked the rich yellow cream that had been poured on the top of the blackberry cobbler clean off the per plate. Later, she sat in a corner petting a cat, wondering where Granny McDowell had gone, when she heard the unfamiliar but delightful notes of a piano. She jumped up and started to follow the sound into the ballroom when the cook grabbed her. Where you think you going? Lula looked up at her, the woman's eyes fixed on the straggly blonde hair, ragged dress, and dirty bare feet. I'm sorry, darling, but I can't let you go in there. Bertha looked into the pleading blue eyes, but all she saw was a bedraggled little girl she had been when she lived in the backwoods. The woman thought for a moment, suddenly smiled, and led Lula out onto a small back porch. She hefted a box off a crate, revealing a window above. Hearing a fiddle start up, she quickly swung Lula up onto the crate. Peek through that window, secret-like, and no one's going to know you the difference. Lula put her elbows on the sill and nestled her chin on her hands as she watched the finely dressed people assemble on the glistening waxed floor for a square dance. The women and girls were pretty in all their finery, but what struck Lula the most was the great delight with which they danced. She couldn't remember ever seeing her mother look so gleeful or smile with so many white teeth. She suddenly missed the comfort of sitting with her family in front of the warm hearth. When would she see them again? With her pa unable to go into the fields, she couldn't fault her mama for putting her out to work. She had heard such things were done in hard times. Lula knew nothing about money, but still sensed 50 cents each month was a great deal of it. Tears welled in her eyes, and a yearning filled her heart for her mama and her papa and her sister and brothers. Yeah, thank you for that, Rose. That's uh, That gives you um, a, a peek into Lula Mae McWade's uh, isolation up to that point. She's being sort of taken out. I wouldn't say she's been taken to the big city, but she's certainly been t- taken <laughs> off the mountain down, down to see, you know, other people who are traveling up to that area to rest for the summer. Uh, but she's isolated. She's separated from her family now, uh, whereas before we might have thought she was isolated up on the top of the mountain, but she was with her family. And now she's trying to have to make her way. And you kind of pull for her as you go as she as you go along here because she is uh, she's barefooted. She doesn't have much in the way of clothes. And then she is sort of uh, brought into this family, uh, cared for, and taken under the wing of a woman who looks after her and wants her to to do well. And and so you're you know, talk about as much as you can without giving too much away, what, what Lula May is searching for. Uh, little Lula May has an innate pleasure in taking care of people. This is one of the things that uh, when I was researching this book, I went and interviewed so many nurses 
who uh, were public health nurses. And things kept ringing over and over. I kept getting the same thing repeated. And I, I wanted to build that into the characters. Uh, this one nurse said to me, you know, you can't be a public health nurse uh, unless you you have a special calling for it. Uh, you can go into a home that's helpless. It's almost hopeless. Uh, the, the the family can't manage, the the parents aren't managing, and you can't fault anybody from walking away from it, saying this is this is a hopeless case. But there is something, an ingredient, in a home nurse and a, a somebody who will go and ch- take this challenge. They look beyond all this, and they want their they can help. They know. They focus on the child, helping the child and ignoring the rest. And so I wanted to infuse in both of those characters that special something that they they look beyond everything f- for to take care of with this desire to help and take care of people. Yeah, we don't know what the connection of these two characters is until later in the book, but uh, they both have this desire to help others. You know, Lula May's learning, uh, you know, off the land to help people in her time period. When Holly comes back to the area, she becomes, you know, I guess employed with a W two and all that goes with it. But she yeah. has to go out into has to go out into the community uh, and get people to trust her. And there's some difficult situations she runs into, like you said. I mean, one scene I recall was she shows up and this baby is really in difficult straits uh, because the house is filthy. There are chickens all over the house uh, and it's not sanitary. And so she kind of has to come up with a plan to get a church to donate money to help them build a chicken coop because they don't have the money to afford the wood to do it. And uh, by doing that, she's able to help the baby. Kind of a unique twist on what a public nurse nurse would ordinarily do. Yeah, well, you know, Landis, one thing that you, when you really study the history of this place and the, this these mountains here, the thing that keeps coming up is we're all in it together. And it was interesting in that time. You know, there was no, if you needed help, it was the churches that helped people. And uh, it was a, a great deal of self-help because they were all in it together. Uh, and, and when I was wanted to write this book and write about the history of the area, it was very complex to how could I come up with a plot that would show and would show the history and that strange, unique time period where you had this antique old community forging with the uh, Industrial Revolution and how they were all in it together and the churches, every kind of church, every faith. This is, you couldn't go uh, to a welfare department in, in the 20s. You would go to a church for help. And even in the 60s, they the churches were helpful. Yeah, one of the things I noticed, um, you know, in, in the book is that when Holly goes there in, in a little bit later time period, I think we're in the 60s, then she... Uh, it's still early to be up there in the mountains in that time. There's not a lot of progress made it there uh, in, in terms of what we'd see in, in bigger cities. 
but um, she is sort of struggling uh, because of the fact that she's an orphan. Um, and a lot of people from the mountain areas because of, you know, disease and hardship and so forth become orphans. And I'm just wondering, you built that into your plot. We're not going to give away anything here about that. But uh, what made you want to use uh, the fact that she was an orphan to help tell the story? Uh, the, the whole plot was very difficult to put together. <laughs> and that's right. why I I struggled for 15 years with this plot. Hmm. And I... I struggled with this plot for 15 years. I knew I wanted to tell the story. And uh, then I came up with the two separate characters. And uh, the fact that she's an orphan and wanting to know her roots uh, will draw, is sort of like a web that the whole plot was sewn around yeah that's great and it it is i mean and with the alternating time periods going back and forth it's interesting you're starting to think okay where's lula may going to go and forward and how's holly going to go backward and are they going to meet when they meet what happens so we won't give anything away uh let's do this we got a little time left let's do a few writing life uh questions um it's uh you've written 10 novels uh seven as i said in the blue ridge series of standalone books um, I, I guess one of the things I want to ask you about because of your, and we're going to talk more about indie publishing on, on Patreon in a little bit, but how do you balance your writing time? And I'm including research in that too, with the business promotion side of what you do as an author. Uh, that's tough. Uh, because when I'm writing, I'm totally immersed in it. Uh, even when the book ends, I'm still with these people. Uh, my, uh, I get up at four o'clock in the morning and by f- five o'clock I'm writing and I write seven days a week, a good, uh, till around two, three o'clock in the afternoon every day. day. I, in order to take the day off, I actually have to get in my car and go away. Uh, otherwise I'll be drawn to, to the computer. And so in, in, when I'm in the writing cycle, I'm totally and utterly in the writing cycle and into the characters. And uh, so then you have to put on your marketing hat and go to the bookstores. And uh, it's it's almost like a reverse personality reversal, but you manage it. It's something you have to do. And also one of the things that I, uh, that, that I enjoy very much, I do a lot of book clubs where you, uh, interface intimately really with maybe 15, 20 people who have read your book and you grow as a writer when you, when you do this with uh, this kind of uh, interfacing with uh, your readers. Yeah, that's great. And and you've written uh, about these historical places um, and, and, and these bits in history. And I'm just wondering um, it's one thing to go to the courthouse and research the maps and to sort of understand what's going on in the area. But you had to get into the heads of these people as they lived in these time periods. What do you do to kind of figure out how these people are thinking and navigating their surroundings at the time uh, in question, in the setting in question? Uh, it's challenging. But if uh, 
the more the more I studied on the history, I started picking up, you know, over 15 years, picking up personalities and uh, characters. And somehow or another, this was a very complex uh, plot, but I had picked up the, uh, the, the woman who adopted her. And then I had picked up uh, Lula May and I had picked up Holly. And so I knew all these characters and I felt for them. And, and that was the challenge, putting an interesting plot with mystery and everything together and weaving in the history at the same time. It was a tough, tough uh, plotting. <laughs> it was difficult. Yeah, because it is because it was almost like you're writing two books. You're writing a book right. telling Lula May's story and a book telling Holly's story and then trying to figure out how to weave them together in a way to keep us interested in turning the pages. So that was I did a chart. I had a chart on Excel with uh, one history and another history, and then the history of the whole area. Uh, and it, it had all these different columns, and I had to write with knowing all of that. I refer mm-hmm. to it constantly. When That's when great. when did they have the first car? And I had to look that up. <laughs> the things we have to look up to, yeah. to write uh, in the past. Our right, last question, uh, Rose, with all the books you've written, I asked this to authors who've, who are, who are prolific. Uh, if you could tell your younger writing self, that uh, author before she wrote her first book, something of value based upon uh, the experience you've gained over these many books, uh, it might help that younger writer, what would it be? Get very solid uh, writing habits. Um, I've never believed in uh, writer's block. Um, and I think that if you ever fall back on that, that's that's not a good, uh, a good habit to get into. You're going to sit down and you're going to write for four hours and you sit down and write. And if, if the writing isn't perfect, that's fine. You can go back and edit because once you're rolling, you're going to get the ideas and you're going to infuse what you're writing. So you, it, it's to put, the, put, a, put aside the time and do it and do it diligently. It's, it's a, a job and you, you got to get it done. That's good. Now, listeners, we're going to jump over now to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. Uh, this is where we provide uh, craft discussions uh, on writing and the, and the business of writing. Uh, you can join there for as little as $5 a month, $8 if you tip, and you can get access to over 100 episodes we've done with authors on, on craft. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, independent publishing and also writing the historical novel uh, so join us there. Rose, I want to thank you for being a part of Charlotte's podcast and sharing uh, your book, Falling Off a Cliff, uh, where we get into the lost colony and somehow find our way out. Thank you for the invite. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. 
If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.